Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. So if you can eliminate, you'll have, you'll have more time and more tranquility. So ask yourself at every moment, is this necessary? Hey folks, welcome back. This is Mark Devine with the Unbeatable Mind Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Super stoked to have you join me. Today I have a solo cast. Originally had a show scheduled with a fellow named Jason Hall, who is the director of a movie I recently watched called Thank You for Your Service. Unfortunately, Jason got sick and couldn't do the podcast, so I decided to do a solo cast anyways. And I wanted to mention the movie and Jason because I encourage you to go see the movie. It's essentially a, it follows a group of soldiers who return from Iraq and struggle to integrate back into life and their families. So it takes a look at uh, unseen wounds of war and the crisis that is causing among vets. This is a near and dear issue to me, and I know a lot of vets who are struggling. We worked with a few uh, over in Greece, and our training had a significant impact with them, and it was had a big impact on us. Uh, I made it the focus of our Courage Foundation, which we launched last year, to work with vets suffering from PTS and to try to help stem the tide of 21 to 22 of these guys, or women too, um, committing suicide every day. It's a real horrible problem that we all need to figure out how to solve. And so we're going to do our part through the Courage Foundation. And on that note, if any of you listening want to be part of that, we're looking in particular for people who can help us figure out how to raise money from corporate donors. Uh, We've got some really cool initiatives next year that we're going to launch. We'll announce toward the end of the year. We also will be having a fundraiser with an auction at our Unbeatable Mind Summit in December. And anyways, it's going to be an important part of our work going forward is to help, you know, train, not train, but help heal vets who are suffering from post-traumatic stress using breathing and uh, mindfulness training uh, from the Unbeatable Mind method. And on that, after uh, today's podcast, essentially, I'm going to pick up where I left off regarding the uh, meditations of Marcus Aurelius. So this will be part two of that, the last part, I might add. And I'm also going to include at the end of this, of that discussion, at the end of this podcast, a discussion I had with a student named J.D. Hickson, who's in Japan, who's a a musician and uh, deeply interested in the breath. And so uh, I'm going to carve out a part of that discussion where I talk about my perspectives on breath training and also give you some interesting little inside scoop on the Trojan horse secrets of box breathing. So expect that after the discussion about Marcus Aurelius, who's my favorite Stoic philosopher, and also was my the pet name my dad had for me as a young kid. He used to call me Marcus Aurelius. How cool is that? Anyways, before I also uh, kick that off, let me talk about the Unbeatable Mind Summit. If you haven't heard or if you're on the fence, it's coming up December 1st through the 3rd. This is a really cool event. It's it's not hardcore training. Uh, some people, I've heard someone say, yeah, my wife is coming. She's really scared. This is nothing to be scared about. This is our annual gathering where we hear from other experts. This year, you're going to hear from Mark Sisson talk about keto diet and ketosis and and um, metabolic flexibility. Uh, my friend Seal, Dr. Kark Persley, who's continuing to uh, dig deep into sleep and recovery. My friend Ashley Horner, who's a very inspiring fitness trainer and also doing a lot of work with battered women. My Navy SEAL buddy, Andy Stump, who holds the world wingsuit record or did for a little while and is just doing all sorts of really cool uh, philanthropic work. Uh, my new friend Joshua Mance, who's an army captain who was killed in combat and miraculously actually came back to life after 15 minutes. We'll hear his story. My friend J.P. Sears, who's a comedic, hilarious guy, but also a healing uh, professional, has a, in the emotional 
in spiritual realms. So um, he gets into spiritual egoism, and he's hilarious. We're going to have a lot of fun with him. And a special guest, my yoga mentor, Gary Kraskow, who's going to lead us a discussion into the science of the mind and lead us through some breath training. Uh, every morning, we'll do an optional uh, either beach workout or yoga training, Kokoro yoga. So, you know, everyone usually jumps into those and they're a lot of fun. And we do spot drills and we we even end the entire experience or maybe they won't end it, but somewhere there we have a full-on 45-minute breath empowerment. I lead a ton of spot drills. It's it's really, really, really cool integrated training, but it's not, you know, not, it's not like a seal fit event where we kick your ass. It's just, just really fun. And there's going to be our Unbeatable Mind coaches will be there to work with each boat crew, which will be the tables to help you uncover your ethos, develop your stand and clarify your why for 2018 and, you know, essentially develop your front site focus plan. We only have 20 some odd spots left. And if you'd like to register now, then you can get a discount of $200 off based upon your uh, entering a code of podcast 200, podcast 200. And the page to register is summit.unbeatablemind.com, summit.unbeatablemind.com. And enter the discount podcast 200 at checkout. So I super hope to see you there. And in honor of all of our vets and people who are serving them and those who are suffering from PTS, let's draw some insight from the Stoic philosopher Marcus Aurelius. So we're going to start with book three and number five, and it's simply titled is How to Act. Now, before I start, remember, these were just basically his musings and his. this is his personal journal. I imagine him, you know, just sitting down at night with a candle and after the day is done and just kind of reflecting and coming up with these uh, these little meditations, and they were written for him. I don't think he ever intended to get them published, so they're pretty interesting when you look at it in that regard, like, and very wise. So, how to act. Never act under compulsion, out of selfishness, without forethought, and with misgivings. And don't gussy up your thoughts. No surplus words or unnecessary actions. Be cheerful without requiring other people's help or serenity supplied by others. That's awesome. So how to act. And this is really cool because with Unbeatable Mind, we talk about mental control. Mental, mental and emotional control is essentially a prerequisite to acting well. So what he's talking about is essentially saying, control yourself. So you don't act under compulsion or out of selfishness or without forethought, which is basically spontaneous reactions driven by your subconscious system, one mind, or, or do things you're going to regret with misgivings. Don't gussy up your thoughts. Be simple, practical, and uh, don't use any surplus words. And so this reminds me of the unbeatable mind practice of not speaking unless what you say is factually true, as best as you can appreciate that truth, comes from a place of being helpful, right? So it's, it's practically true and it's helpful. It's not like just idle gossip or unhelpful. And it's uh, positive, right? It's positive. It comes from good intentions and love and not, you know, uh, some intention to manipulate or, or negativity. So those three things, and if those three things are present, then you can speak. Otherwise, keep your mouth shut. Thank you for that, Marcus Aurelius. Number nine, your ability to control your thoughts. Treat this with respect. See, this is building upon what we just said. Your ability to control your thoughts, treat it with respect. It's all that protects your mind from false perceptions false to your nature and that of all rational being. It's what makes thoughtfulness possible and affection for other people and submission to the divine. That's cool. The ability to control your thoughts. It really is a dramatic shift in your experience of what it is to be human, to live a good life. When you begin to take control of the, of the inner domain and you can actually then control what thoughts you have, the quality of the thoughts, where to focus them, when even to have them. And so you're not, you're, you're not, or you're no longer a slave to other people's thoughts or uh, actions on you or external environments or external triggers or those subconscious um, mental and emotional patterns that have been planted there, you know, surreptitiously from a very young age. Taking control, but that's hard work. 
It's hard work. And I think one of the cool things about Stoicism is, you know, we read it today as philosophy and we think these people were just thinkers and they were not, they were more action oriented than we would ever um, appreciate. So their philosophy was a philosophy of action, prove it and then, you know, reflect upon it. It wasn't, you know, all just like erudite thought, right? Sitting in an ivory tower. Number 10, forget everything else. Keep hold of this alone and remember it. Each of us lives only now, this brief instant. The rest has already been lived or is impossible to see. Let me repeat that. Forget everything else. Keep a hold of this alone and remember it well. Each of us lives only now, this brief instant. The rest has been lived already or is impossible to see. We talked about that last time. His view on time is awesome and I fully support that. So he's basically saying the present moment is all we have. The past has already been lived and is but a memory. And the future, you know, we can have an idea or an image of what that will look like, but we just can't really know. So be aware that right here, right now is truly all you have. And even when you're accessing a memory of that past, which is behind us, it's happening in the here and now. And when you're imagining a future that hasn't existed yet and may never exist, that imagination is happening in the right here and now. So to be 100% accurate, this is all we got, this moment, this word you're listening to, and then this one, and then this one. That's cool. And Marcus got that, and it helped him to write these things because he was very present <laughs> when he wrote them. Okay, number 16, body, soul, mind. Sensations, the body. Desires, the soul. Reasoning, the mind. That's cool. So what he's saying is we're all three of these, but to acknowledge the role of the body, the soul, and the mind. The body, this physical thing, is to allow us to feel sensations, emotions, and desires, and the things that the sense organs kind of let in. And then the soul, he uses the term desires come from the soul. And I would rather say intentions, right? So your soul is essentially what's guiding your mind to have a certain intention. You could call that your your distinct personality or your soul print or your kind of, the, not the physical DNA, but the DNA of your mind is kind of, um, at least in Marcus Aurelius's cosmology, that's what's, you know, unique about you. And then the mind is what allows you to reason. That's pretty interesting. Moving on, this comes from book four, number three. People try to get away from it all, to the country, to the beach, to the mountains. You always wish that you could too, which is idiotic. You can get away from it anytime you like by going within. Nowhere you can go is more peaceful, more free of interruptions than your own soul, especially if you have other things to rely on. An instant's recollection, and there it is, complete tranquility. And by tranquility, I mean a kind of harmony. So keep getting away from it all like that. Renew yourself but keep it brief and basic. A quick visit should be enough to ward off all the unpleasantness and send you back, ready to face what awaits you. That is awesome. So what he essentially is talking about is a spot drill. Take the time to just pause and turn within. And in that turning within, connect with that still water that runs deep inside you. And all you need is a moment to drink of that still water, to recuperate, to rejuvenate, to experience peacefulness and harmony and what he calls complete tranquility. So you don't need to go to the mountains or the beach or on that vacation, right? Don't, I'm not saying don't do that, but he's saying, but you don't need to do that to find peace, right? That's like always trying to find happiness outside of you when true happiness is found right here inside of you. So find that true happiness first inside of you and then go enjoy life. But don't be attached to the outer experience. Turn within. Cool. Number seven, choose not to be harmed and you won't feel harmed. Don't feel harmed and you haven't been. <laughs> How simple is that? I love that. This, this speaks to what you choose to accept into your life. And I've often used that kind of quippy little saying, hey, if someone hands you a gift and you choose not to select it or to receive it, to whom does it belong? If someone hands you a gift and you choose not to receive it, to whom does it belong? Well, that gift is representative of anything. 
you know, uh, if someone dumps a pile of crap on you, could it be anger or, or grief even, or jealousy or rage or anything like that? If someone dumps something on you, either directly or indirectly through gossip or, you know, even in the press, and you choose not to accept it, then it belongs to them, <laughs> right? So why take that crap on? Why do it? It's not worth it. Just don't take it on and don't be harmed by it because you won't be, right? Be not attached. Don't only take on the positive and things that are serving you. Let everything else go. Let the people who dish it out own it. Then he goes on to say, it can ruin your life only if it ruins your character. Otherwise, it cannot harm you inside or out. And, you know, honestly, what he's trying to say is only you can ruin your character. Other people can try. They can smear you. But you don't have to choose to believe it or accept it. You can actually use that to rise up and to be stronger, learn from it, and, you know, to project an even more humble power. And the people who, you know, people who count, I should say, people care for you, they know the difference. They know that is bullshit. You know, so everyone's really so worried about their public reputation in social media and with, you know, with broadcast media and it's all ridiculous to be to be honest okay number 10 that every event is the right one look closely and you'll see not just the right one overall but right as if someone had weighted out with scales keep looking closely like that and embody it in your actions goodness and what defines a good person keep to it in everything you do what he's saying here is that things happen for a reason or they just happen, but regardless, everything that happens to you is, is good, <laughs> is the right event, is the right thing, even if it seems bad. And it's because it's happening to you, right? Think about the opposite, right? If an event doesn't happen to you, then it means you're probably dead. I mean, seriously, everything that happens to you is right because it's happening to you, because you're alive to experience it. You can't change it. In fact, there's, you know, there's a strong body of evidence to suggest that you have created the circumstances for most of everything that happens to you in life. Now, I, I think that there's some co-creation happen that, that puts us at risk of being part of some accident or some, you know, something that you have no control over, like this, this Las Vegas shooting. But, you know, most of the things that, you know, we experience in our life, we, we sort of create with the energy that we project and attract and with our actions and the you know karmic cause and effect over a long term or even a short term so you know what marcus is saying is that that's okay the event happens it's the right event for you look closely and you'll see that it is and what he means by that is find the lesson find the silver lining because you know the event's happening for a reason everything that happens in your life you can find a silver lining and learn from that's why it's happening, to, to, so you can learn and grow. And if you don't get the lesson, then some similar thing will happen down the road. But it probably will be more, you know, magnificent, more painful, more, you know, more intense so that you get the lesson the next time and so on. Number 19, people who are excited by posthumous fame forget that the people who remember them will soon die too. <laughs> and those after them in turn. Until their memory, passed from one to another like a candle flame, gutters and goes out. But suppose that those who remembered you were immortal, and your memory undying. What good would it do you? And I don't just mean when you're dead, but in your own lifetime. What use is praise, except to make your lifestyle a little bit more comfortable? That's fascinating. People who are excited by fame, I'm going to take out posthumous, People are excited by fame. Forget that the people who remember them will soon die too. That's terrific, right? So why chase fame, right? The, you know, you want to be remembered or thought of it well. Well, those people are going to die and not, not going to remember you. So what good does it do? Chasing fame isn't going to help you. And chasing money isn't going to help you either. But chasing goodness, chasing character, chasing peace of mind and happiness and service, right? Good intention service. Well, that might bring money and fame. In fact, it, it likely will if you do it with a pure heart and clear intention. And those things are fine, but they're not m very meaningful, right? Because 
both you and the people who remember them will soon die too. <laughs> Mark, I love that about Marcus Aurelius. He's, he's kind of brutal when he just speaking about life and death and, you know, um, contemplating on his own death. And, and that's an important thing to do. I mean, the yogis tell us, contemplate your death. And the Buddhists have a whole practice around dying and, and contemplating death. And in that way, you don't fear it. And I think that's what the Stoics were doing. They're, they don't want to fear anything, including their own mortality. And so Marcus is saying, yeah, don't fear that. And don't try to chase things that aren't going to matter anyways. Make this life a good one. It's the only one you got. Okay, number 24. If you seek tranquility, do less. I love this. This reminds me of, of Cal Newport and his book is uh, Deep Work and also uh, Essentialism. We, talk, we did podcasts with both of the, those authors uh, last year. If you seek tranquility, do less. Or, more accurately, do what's essential. What's the logos of a social, what the logos or the logic of a social being requires and in the requisite way? Do which, that which brings a double satisfaction. Do less, better. So right there, those are the, those four words you should write up on your mirror or put on your laptop and a sticky. Do less, better. Do less, better. <laughs> Don't do less, better, but do less. Do fewer things, but do them better. And then you'll find tranquility. This speaks to our KISS principle. In unbeatable mind, keep it simple, declutter, and learn to say no in honor or to make room for the larger yes so that we can do fewer things better. And he goes on to say, because most of what we say and do is not essential. So if you can eliminate, you'll have more time and more tranquility. So ask yourself at every moment, is this necessary? So I, I encourage my team at Seal Fit and Unveil Mind all the time to be asking both throughout the day, is the task or the projects that you're in contemplating for today, are they necessary and are they in alignment with our vision and are they going to move us closer to our goals? Those are important and powerful questions. And then throughout the day to constantly ask yourself, is this task necessary? Is this necessary? How many times do we get lost in distraction and clutter and meaningless conversations? And I find that, you know, two-thirds of the day has been blown and we haven't gotten to the important things that move us toward our goal and our mission. Always know why you're doing what you're doing. That is one of the core outcomes of our Kokoro Camp training is to get you to focus radically on those micro tasks so that you can always link the task to your why and link one task to another so that you're always relentlessly marching forward toward your mission. It's powerful, and Marcus Aurelius understood that. Okay, number 40. The world as a living being, one nature, one soul. Keep that in mind. And how everything feeds into that single experience moves with a single motion. And how everything helps produce everything else, spun and woven together. I love this. The world as a living being, one nature, one soul. Keep that in mind. We talk a lot about the world-centric warrior. The fifth plateau of unbeatable mind is essentially to cultivate the attributes and the perspectives of the world-centric warrior. And the world-centric warrior understands that everything is connected. Human beings are connected with nature. Nature are connected with human beings, all sentient beings, all animals. Uh, everything is, is in some way energetically interconnected or in some causal relationship interconnected. And so they're all important, all important. And um, it's, it's imperative that we take care of all of them because by taking care of them, we're taking care of ourselves. But if we ignore them, we're hurting ourselves. And we're starting to obviously see that with um, global warming and degradation of the environment and species, you know, being killed off or disappearing. You know, we're a far cry from getting close to having a global population that, that lives as Marcus Aurelius is encouraging here, understanding the world's living being. But I think we're getting closer, and I know that you're part of helping that be so. So thank you, and Marcus Aurelius thanks you. Number 47. Suppose that a god announced that you were going to die tomorrow or the day after. Unless you were a complete coward, you wouldn't kick up a fuss about which day it was. What difference would it make? Now recognize that the difference between years from now and tomorrow is just as small. 
<laughs> now, this is really interesting because what he's basically, he's comparing our life, you know, he did this in an earlier one. Let's say if we have a hundred years to live and he's comparing that to eternity and saying, okay, a hundred years compared to millions of years is nothing. Like it's literally like a breath. So stop fussing about whether you got one day or 50 years left in your life. Just treat it all the same, right? Give give everything you got right now because it doesn't matter one day or 50 years. It's all infinitesimally small in the whole scheme of things. So just do, take what you get and do it well. Live well. Number 49. To be like the rock that the waves keep crashing over. It stands unmoved and raging, and the raging of the sea falls still around it. This is awesome. Be like the rock that the waves crash over. It stands, the rock, unmoved, and the raging of the seas fall still around it. This is really important, right? So essentially what he's saying is don't be the wave you know, that's constantly rising and crashing with your emotional and mental energy, be the rock, right? If you're connected to your thinking mind and that, and you mistake your thoughts for reality, you're going to be the waves. You're going to constantly be struggling and crashing and, and rising and falling. And it's going to be a turbulent life. You're living at the surface level. But if you can connect to that witnessing self and turn within and then stabilize in that witness, then you become the rock like Mount Zion, you become the rock and the waves will crash upon you, then become still around you. You're unaffected, unfettered. You become that still water that runs deep. That's awesome. Okay, only a few more. And the next ones come from book five. Number 25. So other people hurt me? That's their problem. Their character and actions are not mine. What is done to me is ordained by nature. What I do by my own. So other people hurt me, that's their problem. Awesome. And we, we literally just spoke about this a little while ago. If other people do something to me, that they're actually doing it to themselves. If I don't allow that to hurt me. If I don't accept their challenge, their hurt, their abuse. It, you you know, you leave it with them. Whatever you do to somebody else, you leave a carbon copy on yourself. So if whatever you do to somebody else, if it's negative or poisonous or even a thought, negative thought, you're leaving that thought, a carbon copy on yourself. So if that person chooses not to accept it or it doesn't land, guess who you've harmed? You've harmed yourself. This is why feeding the courage wolf is so important. We, we think positive thoughts so that we don't damage ourselves. It, you know, feeding the courage wolf and be all smiley and nice to another person, then walk away and think, what a jerk. Because that thought, what a jerk, basically you're saying to yourself, I'm a jerk. That thought is, is, is basically landing on you, not him or her. So be careful with that, right? Other people hurt me? No, they can't. That's their problem. That's their character and actions, not mine. Number 26, the mind is the ruler of the soul. It should remain unstirred by agitations of the flesh, gentle and violent ones alike, not mingling with them, but fencing itself off, keeping those feelings in their place. When they make their way into your thoughts through the sympathetic link between mind and body, don't try to resist the sensation. The sensation's natural, but don't let the mind start in with judgments, calling it good or bad. So essentially, again, continuing the lesson on mental and emotional control. When you get in control, you can watch the emotions come up. You can feel the sensations, but you're not going to identify with them, right? You're not going to say this anger, I am this anger, right? That's why it's false to say, I am angry. It's more accurate to say, I sense anger, right? But I am not angry. I sense anger. I'm going to acknowledge or try to search for the source of this anger. It might be obvious because some jerk is, you know, berating me or my boss just dumped on me. But I am not anger. I experience anger and I acknowledge where it comes from. And then just by watching that anger, it'll, it'll rise like that wave and then it'll crash because you're the rock. You're not the wave. And in that way, you won't react, right? And, and you won't react in a way that you're going to regret later. This is like how to live a regret-free life. 
develop mental and emotional control so you become the witness and watch those thoughts and emotions come and go and then just decide, which means to kill off, decide what ones to kill off and what ones to keep and where you're going to focus your energy with that. Okay, that's Unbeatable Mind Training 101. And if you haven't learned about the training or you haven't experienced it, check it out at unbeatablemind.com. Super powerful. Foundation course is 12 months long and it's had some transformational effect on a lot of people. So if you like my book, Unbeatable Mind or The Way of the Seal, you'd love that course. And uh, I'm working on another course for leaders that will launch next year called tentatively called Unbeatable Leader. So that'll also have a book and an online training. And uh, that'll be more around um, developing the capacity to uh, reach the fifth plateau or to lead from that fifth plateau that we talked about, world-centric warrior leader, and um, to build culture and organizations that, that can live that way. Okay. Number 34, this is the last one from uh, Marcus. Um, you're gonna, you can lead an untroubled life provided you can grow. You can think and act systematically. Two characteristics are shared by gods and men and every rational creature, he says in parentheses. One, not to let others hold you back. And two, to locate goodness in thinking and doing the right thing and to limit your desires to that. Great one to leave off on. Don't let others hold you back, right? Think big and bold and go for it. And don't let, you know, don't let limited thinking of others, don't let other people's criticisms or pessimism uh, hold you back. Don't let structures hold you back. One of the reasons I got out of the Navy off active duty and stayed in the reserves was because the structure was holding me back. It was too rigid, right? Too narrowly defined. And, and I needed to grow beyond it. I could feel it. I could sense it. And, you know, so eventually I sprung out of it, like getting out of jail, so to speak. I know some of you military folks know what I'm talking about. But it, it works for others, you know. But for me, the reserves gave me more freedom. Don't let others hold you back. Other people in your family, your teammates, you know, people in the media or social media, don't let your, don't take any of their crap on. Like Marcus says, just, you know, don't take it. Don't accept their, their negative gifts. Don't let them hold you back. And don't let any structures hold you back, including your own, right? If you've, if you started a company, I was talking about this with someone the other day. If you started a company and you're, you're stuck in the badlands of, you know, you can't get out of one to $3 million of revenue and, but you can't afford to leave the company. And so now, because you need the cash flow, so now you're stuck, right? You can't sell the company. <laughs> you can't afford to kill the company because you need the income, but you can't stand what you're doing. Wow, what a prison you've created for yourself. So now if, if someone's in that situation or even a job, you, you spent 20 years creating the skills to do something well, and now you've got a job and you're making tons of money, but you can't stand it. And you've got a vision for something else, but you feel like you can't leave it because you've become you know, accustomed to that money, and then you've, you've created essentially a prison for yourself and that's going to hold you back. So don't let that hold you back any longer, right? And that's just one scenario. I, I see that one a lot when people come through our training. They're like, oh my God, here I am. I feel stuck, but I don't want to be here anymore. Well, it's going to hold you back. So you've got to, you know, use the skills to contemplate a better, a way out essentially. <laughs> you got to come up with a plan to develop a way out of that. And it may not just be bailing tomorrow, but it might be planning to be out of it in a year while you systematically build on the side, you know, something that, that you can transition to, something that's simple. Locate goodness in your thinking and doing the right thing. That means you need to think well, develop mental and emotional control, think well, develop your ethos, be clear about what you stand for, have a strong vision for the future so that you can do the right thing day in and day always knowing why you're doing those things. Limit your desires to those and you can lead an untroubled life, says Marcus Aurelius. And so does say Marcus Aurelius Divinus. And I appreciate your time listening to that. Now I'm going to offer you a brief discussion. The audio won't sound the same because it's a, it was done on Skype, but a discussion I had with my buddy J.D. Hickson over in Japan He's launching a program called Breathe Tactical, so give him a little shout out there. And, you know, if you want some breath training, breath training is a big part of Unbeatable Mind. It really is our the first of our core practices, breath, followed by concentration and mindfulness and awareness development, sensory development. 
and visualization. Those are the core practices, and they, they're used in multiple different ways to achieve different outcomes. But in this uh, audio, I talk about uh, origins of breath and why it didn't transfer to the United States very well and how you know we're kind of reconstituting that myself and people like JD and, and um, my friend Stig and Dan Brule are all offering breath training now. And also how the Trojan horse of box breathing. Box breathing is a Trojan horse um, experience. It's an incredibly powerful layered practice and you'll get a glimpse why. Thanks so much for your time and I will see you next time. This podcast is supported by Ample. The Ample meals aren't just protein shakes. They're complete meals, including fiber, healthy fats, as well as protein. I love Ample, and I try to have at least one a day in the morning. Now, life's crazy, and this makes eating healthy on the go so much easier. I consider it the new MRE, meal ready to eat. Just add water. You can get a 400 or 600 calorie complete meal in a bottle made from superior real food ingredients designed for optimal nutrition. It's non-GMO, no artificial crap, no gluten, no soy. Now, my friends at Ample are offering a 15% discount off your first order if you're interested in checking it out. Go to amplemeal.com and use the code unbeatable15. Unbeatable15. Ample knows how much I love this product and I want you to try it too. So go to amplemeal.com, use the code unbeatable15 to get a discount on your order. Check it out. It's great stuff. First, I'll have to say that the breath training that I received from Nakamura and the Zen tradition was very practical and focused, you know, on developing specific skills or tools, right? Using the breath in a, in a way to develop power and a way to um, obviously, you know, calm and still the nervous system and whatnot. But there wasn't a lot of discussion about how or why. It was just do. It was all, it was all do. And even our trips up to Zen Mountain Monastery, Dido was focused on awakening Satori. Right. He wasn't focused on breath. Zero conversation that I can recall ever about breath. Nakamura didn't sure. talk. He didn't talk about breath. He just he just taught it in class. No. So most of what I've learned about the breath came actually, you know, aside from the techniques of breath awareness, you know, which was part of the Zen. Initial, you know, beginning Zen training, you know, count your, you know, breathe in, breathe out, count one, breathe in, breathe out, count two. That was the basic, um, basic boot camp for Zen, right? Where we would develop our concentration and breath awareness. And then, you know, breath practices like Ubuke or Kiai, right? Spirit shout, stuff like that to develop power. And then, you know, just because, because of my athletic background, in particular as a swimmer and endurance athlete, I had already before my experience with Nakamura developed a deep appreciation for breath control and the power of the breath to really still my mind and get me into a flow state, right? So again, nothing that was talked about, just pure experiential. So when I got into the SEALs, especially SEAL training, it, it seemed intuitive to me to kind of fall back on these skills. And once again, I, I really even though it seems like when I wrote about him in the way of the seal or in Bill mind that I knew exactly what I was doing and I had, you know, I'm saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to practice the big four now in, in this evolution. It, those are really kind of retrospective realizations, right? In the moment I was just doing, just like in music, you were just doing. And then in retrospect, exactly. you like, oh, oh. I was just talking about this with a guy, another guy in the Navy, like just in the fleet, but you know, 30 years of, I suddenly realized, like, some of the most famous people in music and in politics, and I rubbed elbows with and had all these conversations. So all this stuff that I, I'm a good coach, because it's all there. I don't it's just there. Just kind of, right. But yeah. now that I'm doing something to kind of, uh, I have unbelievably tremendous, even more tremendous respect for you than ever. Now that I'm trying to put something keeping it as, you know, simple, stupid as possible. Um, but also flexible, so it's not like real method driven. But the, mm -hmm. there's a set of principles that work, and to distill that's a that's a really interesting process to go through. It's a difficult process, so maybe, yeah. Anything is, yeah. So go on. Sorry. <laughs> if anything, I think that's probably one of my unique gifts is the ability to think through the the what you know what and how what and why you know 
these practices and tools have worked for me. And then, of course, testing them on all the, all the soft candidates. And then to be able to present it in a form that's, you know, somewhat simple and pretty easy to understand. So back anyway, so it became pretty clear to me that one of the coolest things about the breath was this ability to really develop a, a much a heightened sense of sensitivity, right? And so now, of course, we're realizing that this is the hotter guy, you know, the breath art of really uh, experiencing that efferent nervous system and the and the what you described as the bundle of nerves from the vagus nerve bundled down in the dantian and that air, you know the belly region and so when you develop that deep breathing pattern that deep circular or tactical breathing pattern and you maintain deep awareness of the sensations and including uh, imagery that kind of arises then essentially you're tapping into that belly brain and then of course the heart brain the heart mind is a different set of sensations and feelings but the same it's developed in the same way your heart your heart is also accessed through the breath different than the belly right so it's really interesting and i learned that primarily through my seal training because of the experiences of extreme fear elicited by the danger associated with a firefighter or with jumping out of an airplane or being you know stuck under a ship at night and having to literally go back to the breath to save my life and to avoid danger and to experience senses so turned in that it was became a very rich and intense experience and um and then when those experiences You're submersible right with the mask yeah up, i read it that's something you know, well, so, yeah well amazing. that was a submarine thing we were driving mini subs but also just the plain old you know diving ship attacks you know we do everything at night and you'd often get lost under the ships or you know also really interesting experiences mm. so anyways not unlike you know learning the breath through music and the different aspects of the breath and the emotionality and how to tune into you know deeper state of awareness that's what was happening with me during seal training and then as a seal operator and it wasn't until i really took up my training in yoga and i had teachers start to talk about breath and pranayama and ratios and um, the different effects of the breath. In particular, one of my teachers was Gary Kraskow. I mentioned him in my book, Kokoro Yoga. He had a profound influence. And I realized that much of what was brought to the West through uh, karate, even Zen and yoga, uh, lost the breath, right? There's some discussion about meditation in yoga there's uh, some discussion about visualization in you know tibetan buddhism and a little bit in yoga you know uh, patanjali talks about it but the you know it's, it's difficult to find practices around it even my one of my first instructors uh, tim miller who's you know the the first american certified in the shtanga yoga you know there was no visualization taught taught to him and even though he did some with deity um, kind of meditation, it wasn't really done as a practice. It was done as a kind of a deity worship thing. So that also was something that I had to develop on my own and to only to find out later on that it actually was a rich part of the original Zen and yogic practices, you know, Um, only pretty much captured by the, Tibetan Buddhist, as far as I'm aware, and maybe maybe there's some Zen tradition that I'm not aware of, but we did not learn visualization in my Zen training anywhere. So I'm not really sure if it's still there, or I'm, I'm, it might be, you know, but it wasn't in the Western version, you know. The Halo Neurostimulation System will help you to push boundaries and to perform at your maximum capacity. Now I'm often testing new products here at Unbeatable Mind, and Halo is the most recent that I've tested. And I felt it absolutely needed to be passed on to the tribe. It's a neurostim device that electrically stimulates the movement centers in your brain. It helps you to move better and faster through neuroplastic adaptation. It's as simple to use as downloading an app and plugging in headphones and then sticking them on your head. Use it for 20 minutes and then you go do your movement or your workout. Now Halo, the company, has graciously offered to give a discount to Unbeatable Mind listeners. If you go to haloneuro.com and at checkout use the code UNBEATABLEMIND125, which will give you $125 off a Halo Sport model. 
That's an unbelievable offer. So use unbeatable mind 125 at haloneuro.com, H-A-L-O-N-E-U-R-O.com to get $125 off. Very generous offer that they put together. Hope you check it out. Hoo ya. I think this is kind of the the way this works, right? You know, there's a discovery process and then there's a forgetting process, right? So culture forgets these things. Sometimes there's a particularly adept Zen master or system or yoga system that can capture the wisdom, but then that doesn't transfer, you know, cultures very well. So it's lost again. And so and they, it, it literally is always being rediscovered. And that's the beauty of it, right? Because the breath is, is so vast uh, as a teacher and everybody's going to experience it differently, I think. Uh, it literally is when you can experience uh, the universe breathing you, then you're starting to get close to appreciating the power of the breath, right? Every breath is essentially a an opportunity for pure radical awareness and enlightenment. Every breath is essentially recharging the battery. Absent that breath, you know, your battery will discharge and you pass away. Every breath is a literally like catching a wave that, that rides all five mountains, right? So you first experience physically and then mentally and then emotionally and then intuitively and then spiritually and then back again, all in the same breath. And that is Mark Devine's interpretation. You've never heard that from anybody before, you know? <laughs> That's the beauty of it, isn't it? Um, that... I'm not repeating Nakamura's words or Dido's words or anybody's for that matter because my experience of the breath is going to be different than J.D. Hickson's and it's going to be different than Nakamura's. And there are certain fundamental principles about how to breathe effectively and why, but the experience is a radically unique experience and it's basically God experiencing life through us, breath by breath in my, you know, I, I believe that. Honestly, whether you use that term or not, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Very comfortable with the, that. The, bio, the biology of it is also incredible, right? So the, the vagus nerve is just one aspect of it. I think it's the whole nervous system, and I believe the body is a mind. I, th- I believe the mind is the body. It's all one thing. That's why we work to integrate, and that's why yoga and Zen are, are the practices of integration. It's to reintegrate with the body-mind spirit as one as opposed to seeing feeling and experiencing them as separate so you know triggering the vagus nerve and the parasympathetic nervous system those are just byproducts of reintegration the, the experience of that and you know the intuitive awareness that accrues from that is simply an outcome of that reintegration is you know greater powers of course you know tr- the the training is critical this it's not going to happen through some hack or through some, and I say this quite a bit when I'm asked, it's not going to happen spontaneously. You can have a spontaneous enlightenment, Satori, but that's not going to give you this, it's not the same thing as experiencing what a long-term breath awareness practice will bring, right? Because it just, it does take time, I think. It really takes time. It's like sharpening the saw, you know, I love that metaphor from Musashi. We're sharpening the sword day in and day out so that we can feel and experience the deep sensitivity and energy of the breath. And that's why Tai Chi and Qigong masters, you know, it's, it's 40 years of work and a good karate master or Zen master or musician even. Anyway, so then the imagery is just another form of energy, right? So you're drawing in like source energy with the breath and the imagery is what then gives it form and direction and also sound, right? So with music, the sound gives the breath form and direction. The breath gives the sound form and direction. It's really hard to know where one begins and the other ends. Visualization and imagery is the same, right? So it gives the breath, the life force, some direction and form to it. Now, when you can combine breath with imagery and sound, now you're getting some real interesting. That's where mantra, combining mantra with visualization and the breath is like a superpower. And, you know, this is what I try to teach in my real mind without having, being able to have a conversation like this because I'm teaching it to someone I assume has no idea what I'm talking about. But box breathing is a Trojan horse because I first teach it as a physical practice, as a way to 
grease the groove and to train yourself to breathe that way unconsciously so that the tactical breath or even the box breath, if you're not, you know, in a elevated heart rate position is a natural state. That's when you're going to start to experience all these things that we're talking about. But what's happening also is because you're breathing in this box pattern, it's no different than saying inhale, exhale, count one, inhale, exhale, count two. And if you notice yourself thinking, label it thinking, come back to the breath. That's box breathing because the instructions when you come to training is identical to that. So start box breathing, but just focus on the box pattern. And if you notice yourself thinking, the noticer is your witness and the thinker is your thinker, congratulations, you just developed a simultaneous mind. And now we uh, have the ability to cultivate a connection with that witness. And anytime you notice yourself thinking, congratulate yourself, but come back to the box pattern, connect with the witness. That's concentration training and then follow with mindfulness. So now we're talking about breathing for physiology, breathing for concentration, breathing for mindfulness. And we haven't even added mantra or visualization yet. Toward the end of the practice, when we do our long 20-minute or 30-minute practices, we begin to add, if it's a guided session where I'm leading it, I begin to add the um, positive affirmations and the, you know, the, you know, the, mind, the mantras just through a call and response, but the response is internal. So I'll say, inhale hold right day by day in every way i'm getting better and stronger and then you know they'll repeat that silently so they're beginning to grease the groove of the mantra which is adding sound right and you can even do it spoken but you know you want to teach them at least to do it with the internal dialogue and then at the end you add the visualization and so now you've combined literally a, a host of power practices right physiological breath training the stress management of the um, deep diaphragmatic nostril breathing, the concentration training of following the pattern and being aware or witnessing your, you know, deviation from that pattern, the mm. mindfulness practice of expanding your awareness to be able to pay attention when you, you know, where your attention is focused. Is it focused on the thought or is it focused on the breath pattern? And then the mantra, greasing the groove of positive affirmation, positive internal dialogue, which then trans, you know, further extends to positive emotional management because that's just a stored thought energy form. And then the imagery. So that one practice is, you know, a secret weapon <laughs> because you can include and you can stack all these really powerful practices that have, you know, correlates and you know they, they they mutually support each other for maximum effect and then you direct all that toward a, a very specific aim whether that's music or getting through buds or accomplishing a, a task or a performance you know all right thanks very much folks for listening to my solo cast on marcus Aurelius and also breath work the power of breathing uh, stay focused, do the work yourself, practice box breathing every day for a minimum 20 minutes and watch your life transform and then uh, go out and serve boldly. Till next time, hoo divine out. Lock it low, boys, time to explode, boys, make sure you get home, boys, they got your back, the pride of the fleets, the bright swinging frogmen. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.